Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. In today's episode, we are discussing two European youth strategies, the EU Youth Strategy and the Council of Europe Youth Sector Strategy, looking at what they have in common and where they differ, but also how relevant they are now in the COVID or post-COVID period. Both strategies are institutional reactions uh, to the situation of young people in Europe. The reason for our discussion is the paper written by Frederike Hoffmann van der Poel and Howard Williamson, which is reflecting on and analyzing both strategies. You can find the link to the document in the notes of this episode. Today we are discussing this paper and both strategies together with Frederike Hoffmann van der Poel, a senior researcher at German Youth Institute, and Miriam Teuma, chief executive of Malta's National Youth Agency and also the chair of the European Steering Committee for Youth in the Council of Europe. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and I'm joined by Tania Basarab uh, from the Youth Partnership in this episode. Enjoy listening. Today we are discussing two European youth strategies, one coming from the European Union and the second from the Council of Europe. There is a paper published that's analyzing both strategies. Tanya, if you can introduce a little bit of paper and tell us what we can find there and why this paper appears now. So first of all, thank you, Miriam and uh, Frederike for accepting to be discussing together this analysis. I remember that we gave this difficult task to Frederike and Howard in March, and they did a good job considering that we wanted to have this as a basis for the consultation for the Youth Partnership Next biannual work program. But we also thought that it would be great to have such an analysis now that the two um, strategies were launched, just to see where they converge what are the common points, what are the objectives and the contexts of each strategy, but also the different points. And how do they uh, stand the test now? Because a strategy takes time to be developed. It takes a lot of consultation, a lot of people are involved. And then by the time it's adopted, and in this case, we had a COVID-19 situation almost immediately as the strategies were adopted and launched. We asked Frederick and Howard to look, for example, what are the common objectives uh, of the two strategies? And they did identify inclusion, youth work, participation, uh, that they are opportunity-oriented, this European value base, trying to pass it on, and it permeates especially the background of the the introduction of the strategies, and then what was unique that each uh, organization chose to focus on for the next period. And we asked also that they look at how it relates to young people's realities, young people's lives, because ultimately these strategies aim to support member states to improve opportunities, to improve conditions, to support the needs and aspirations of young people 
in Europe. So, of course, a young person does not think engage in Power Connect or revitalizing democracy, youth work, and uh, so on. But they think, I want to have good education. I want to have good employment opportunities, maybe for some. I want to have good career prospects, to feel confident of who I am, of how I am uh, growing into an adult, the services and support I have around. So very briefly, this is, let's say, the pitching from my side of what this uh, analysis is about. Thank you, Tanya, for this introduction. The strategies are quite new because the European Union new strategy is planned for the years 2019-2027 and the Council of Europe youth strategy is planned until 2030. So we are at the beginning of the whole process of implementation of both strategies in the field of youth. Frederike, after reading the paper several times, I found this uh, statement that sometimes it's not possible to compare certain things when it comes to both strategies. So it's quite difficult, although you did a great job because you tried to find the commonalities and also the differences in both strategies. So if we can discuss a little bit at the beginning, where do these strategies meet and uh, what are the differences that maybe we should be aware of? Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, both documents, they are comparable and not comparable because they have both their own environments and own institutions in which they were discussed, developed and uh, adopted. If you think um, of the EU youth strategy at the moment, it was developed at the moment, it was discussed. We had 28 uh, member states of the European Union, whereas the Council of Europe has 47 members. One organization is an intergovernmental organization. The other one is a supranational organization. So there are differences in competences. There are differences in the way they reach out to youth policy, what their capacities are, what their possibilities and also their competences are. But at the same time, both documents really are institutional reactions to the situation of young people. But then again, you see that the EU strategy, for example, is an, a response to the challenges that young people are facing. The whole document is about challenges young people are facing and the reactions um, the EU can or what the EU can do about it. Whereas um, if you look at the Council of uh, Europe Youth Sector Strategy, also the name already says it's a youth sector strategy. It's much more about ensuring the systemic development within the youth sector. It's also about the challenges young people are facing, but they're much more in the background compared to the document of the, the EU. Both Institutions, of course, have their own history of youth policy development, their own previous documents on which uh, the now EU youth strategy and Council of Europe youth sector strategy are building on. And then especially in the EU, you have also a lot of other youth policy initiatives that are actually not directly related to the EU youth strategies. For example, the youth guarantee in the employment sector, the European skills agenda in the education sector, the European pillar of social rights. So you have these two documents, which are basically directed at the same goal to make the situation of young people in Europe better. But if you look into the details, they have a different background and you always have to realize which background it is and how certain, certain things they're basically saying in the documents are to be interpreted. 
Thank you, Frederica. You already said that, that there is a big process going on before the strategy is actually designed. There is a lot of consultations. There is a lot probably going on in consulting different documents as well and so on. Miriam, uh, looking at the Council of Europe youth sector strategy, if you can say a few words, how this actually looks like. How do you develop such a European strategy? What this process looked like in the Council of Europe? I think it's interesting for the listeners to see what it looks like when, when the institution develops a European youth strategy. In reality, here we're talking about two institutions and, and in, in a way they um, follow the same procedure. Not exactly, but uh, and it's the same kind of process that both institutions take, although these... Uh, are initiated by the institutions and all member states and are involved in the production in a way of 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 such strategies so for example in the council of of europe there is a statutory body and which is called the joint council and in this statutory body it's the um delegates from the member states who are part of this, uh, or the member states of the Council of Europe, with a number of youth organizations. Uh, and this makes the statutory body of the Council of Europe. The statutory body really starts having a wide consultation with the member states, with the uh, organizations. In this case, this time there was a, a big uh, um, event uh, where we started off with the consultations and the and trying to take stop of what happened and what we should have in the new strategy. Then the statutory body also appoints a task force to work on the strategy. There is always a, a consultation process and be, between the member states, between involving the young people, new people in the Council of Europe are really directly part of the decision making of all this. And afterwards, after all the negotiations, the strategy is decided upon and then it goes to the Council of Ministers to be adopted. Similarly, and, and at, at uh, an EU level, uh, and usually it's the Commission who, who prepares a, a document and then it is uh, and presented to the youth working party. There are different member states uh, and uh, um, they discuss and negotiate the document that has been prepared. And after that, a lot of consultations happen in with the young people. The difference here is that the young people are not in the youth working party, but there is still a lot of um, um, consultation being taken, which happens. That's why we have the union conferences. That's why we have the structured dialogue for all the all all and um, this process to move smoother. And again, once the document has been decided upon, it goes to the Council of Ministers and the document is adopted. So this is really the process on how these strategies are developed and then adopted and become part of the institution. So in reality, there is a big influence from the different member states and also the young people themselves, this is a a youth policy and are there involved in this uh, to make this document happen. Thank you, Miriam. Yeah, that's indeed a very complicated process. I feel tempted actually to ask now, and what's next? This is not the end of the episode yet, but this is what, uh, what immediately comes. So 
it's adopted. There is, there is a lot of guidelines. There is a lot of information. Young people were consulted. The document is uh, supposed to be very relevant for the lives of young people in, let's say, very diverse communities, very diverse countries with very different probably needs. Uh, so what kind of impact do these strategies actually have on national strategies, on national youth policies or on young people's lives? I can speak from a member state perspective. I'm the delegate for Malta with regards to um, youth policy and uh, representing uh, um, Malta in both uh, institutions. And uh, as I was explaining in a nutshell, uh, the process, because you said it's complicated, but in reality it is more complicated than I tried to be uh, as short as possible. But once these documents are, are adopted, uh, in reality, then, it is up to the member states whether they take them up to implement them. Of course, at the European level, both the institutions uh, take up measures to implement the policy, but then um, within each member state, there are no laws which say that that member state has to follow that. Um, uh, that it's, it's not, this is not a legal document at all. So in the end, it's up to the member states, uh, that, which decides whether they want to take up and implement such uh, a policy at national level. And I'm talking from experience. What usually happens is that each member state has its own national youth policy. And usually, whilst they are devising a national youth policy, these documents are referred to, and these documents are also taken into consideration. And... Uh, in a way, infused or integrated within the national youth policy. So this is really how it works. Again, very in a very simplified manner, how it works in, at a member state level, of course. And because we have to remember as well that, I mean, Federica started off this introduction very well. These are two institutions with different aims, missions, and so on. But again, within all this, each member state has got the his the different context, they've got their own um, finances dedicated to youth policy. Again, each member state has to decide where and what priorities and they will take up and what can be applied at national level. And then it goes further down depending on how big the member state is to the regional and at the local level. Yes, I agree with Miriam, and I want to stress that, in my opinion, having followed especially the process of implementation of the EU strategy um, the last 10 years, these both, actually both uh, strategies provide a kind of guidance to member states. And what Miriam said is important that we have to differ between the two levels, the European level, where both documents have uh, a clear direction of what the institutions should do, whereas for the member states, it's more guidance. And there are member states which are using this guidance very actively. And there are also member states for which a lot of things in the EU strategies and EU sector strategy is not really new. So they're picking out what is really interesting for them and working on that. And sometimes um, what is coming from the European level is also a kind of 
support actually for what they are developing on a national level and what maybe in national discussions is difficult to get through. But then they have the support from European institutions, from a European document that the direction in which they want to go is actually the one which is supported by the Euro European Union or the Council of Europe. And that is very helpful. Okay, thank you. You have been talking about the, the big involvement of, of young people, both in the consultation process, but also in the implementation of both strategies. And when I was reading the, the study, it's, it's very clear that in both strategies, this participation of young people is very important. It's a key for the implementation and for the effectiveness of both strategies. It's, it's even expressed in a very nice way. I think in the, in the EU strategy that young people are seen as experts of their own lives. So young people are the most important in this. And also in the Council of Europe, the co-management uh, of sustaining the co-management structure, which involves directly the voice of young people coming from youth organizations, youth networks, and so on. Uh, how well reflected is it? Or is it reflected well enough in the strategies, this involvement, especially when it comes to the implementation uh, of both uh, youth strategies? Maybe I can come in because it is a sort of continuation to uh, what Miriam and Frederike were explaining earlier. I think that these strategies, they help all the member states take forward certain aspects of policy implementation that is of common interest and that really overlaps almost. That it's not just a complementarity, but they want to do it together the whole continent on the same topics, for example, on youth work, on youth participation, these remain almost as transversal objectives. They are allowing all member states to connect to one common European objective. And the EU side does it through the youth dialogue at e European level. But of course, in each member state, there may be many more interesting national and local initiatives. And in the Council of Europe, it is this constant feeding from the youth organizations through the Advisory Council on Youth of these topics. But what is also interesting, I think, for many member states is that when new challenges arise, they sometimes need feel the need to exchange, learn how are the others coping with these challenges, what are they doing. We have seen that with the COVID context that there have been a few exchanges and a few sessions among policymakers where they really needed to see who is focusing on what to keep the policy driving. And I think it's uh, partly reflected also that is where maybe sometimes uh, some member states are more experienced on a specific topic, like mental health of young people, like supporting maybe this kind of all-round service offer to young people that permeates to European policies in that context. People raise it up, it's be it through the young people's consultations or through the policy exchanges. And these strategies have to remain flexible in that sense, because as soon as this will be blocked and it will say, we only focus on participation, youth work, social inclusion, it's going to be difficult for some member states to connect. That was something that I wanted to add to what Frederike was saying. For some, it's guidance. Others are much more ahead. And yet there are topics that come up and 
people need that flexibility of the strategies to allow for it. Okay, thank you, Tanya. I think we will come back a little bit to this and to the situation that young people are facing that are related with the impact of COVID-19. At the beginning, we were talking a little bit what are the differences, but there's also a lot of commonalities. And one area of commonality that is clearly identified in the paper is the youth work which is the concern of both institutions and also cooperation between both institutions. So if we look at youth work, which both institutions are working for a lot through different instruments as well, because EU has instruments like Erasmus+, Plus, for example, Council of Europe has a training program and European Youth Foundation as well. So there's a lot of instruments that can be used to support youth work. So what can we expect actually from this cooperation between both institutions when it comes to youth work? I think that there has been a clear statement of intent at the third European Youth Work Convention, where the two uh, organizations presented their vision for more cooperation, better cooperation on offering a youth work opportunity for all young people all over Europe and how that will be delivered. It's, we are only at the start of the implementation. And I think that more ideas are on the table still and it will become maybe more clear as time goes by who takes charge of which aspect of that policy implementation but definitely it's exciting let's say the area of youth work is very dynamic there's a lot of interest there's also a lot of expectations that have been created in preparation for the convention yeah lots to happen still for example the eu is starting an expert group on youth work, which was something that they declared at the convention that they would be doing. They want to develop a platform for youth workers. And the Council of Europe is already reaching the moment where it will have to launch the review of its recommendation on youth work next year. In reality, when a, a policy is defined and published, uh, it, it needs to go to an implementation with its tools to to implement this. And uh, again, as you were saying, we have Erasmus plus funding as a tool because, of course, we also need funding to implement this. And there's Erasmus plus funding can be used as a, at, a, at a European level, can be used also at a national level. So these are, these are the tools that these two institutions are providing um, to member states and organizations to, to implement, uh, to help them implement uh, and these strategies. Of course, every member state has its own tools to continue implementing the national youth policy together with this integrated European um, approach. Because to be fair, I think, and this is my perception, but a, a lot of European youth policy and a lot of the youth policy, which has um, come about from the European institutions, hasn't been taken up. And that, in fact, I see this as a, something which we have almost completely Europeanized. It's a big discussion over there, but uh, it's one of the, that, it's one of the things that I think is most very much Europeanized. But uh, again, as, uh, as Tanya was saying, I mean, Erasmus plus EYF, the trainings are not enough. And this is why it's from the, European Youth Work Convention. This is why I mean, and there was this plea in a way from the people in the field that we want more tools, we want more 
support, uh, not only from national government, but also from uh, and the European institutions. And the idea of having the partnership and the idea of focus, focusing on youth work came up uh, and from this to try and, and come up with some tools now rather than focusing on everything, really focusing on youth work. And this is what I see the partnership ultimately doing. Yes, Tanya said it, something which we are developing and something that needs thought and, and will develop along the years. It's not something that you can really plan because and policy and strategies pass through a different evolution. It's not something which is static. So yes, I see that definitely um, we need to continue identifying more practices, identifying more innovation in youth work, understanding more what youth work is. These are the things that connecting the people more and putting more expertise and forwards to member states as organizations to understand how youth work can impact young people. This is in reality what I see that ultimately the partnership will start off doing it. Probably then it will have a ripple effect on other institutions to do as well. I completely agree with uh, Tanya and Miriam. I think that the interesting thing actually is that two organizations two institutions who both have a history in youth work are now focusing more and more on cooperation and bringing their resources on youth work actually together and thus in this way strengthening youth work without lessening actually their own um, strengths and their own competences in youth work. The EU is at this moment much more focused on the recognition on competences and skills of young people learned through youth work, whereas the Council of Europe in this strategy is uh, more focused on access and attractiveness of youth work and learning opportunities for young people. And I think this combination of both and then the youth partnership basically in, in the middle as a cooperation between these institutions can even strengthen this path both institutions are now taking together even more. I was wondering if Frederike you would and Miriam, you would be able to reflect a little bit on the commonalities that were identified in the paper related to social inclusion of young people. And maybe a little bit, what are the member states' expectations or intentions in the coming years about it? I mean, when I look at social inclusion, in reality, when we look at young people, it's not only youth policy that we should look into. Oh, but there are so many other policies which are also addressed to, to young people. And when it comes to social inclusion, the way I look at it is that both strategies are talking about inclusion and there is an intersection there. But besides that, there are other strategies at European level by the two institutions as well um, regarding inclusion and so on. And at national level, there are also policies. Most of the member states have got specific policies on social inclusion and inclusion is also part of other different policies like education policy. So it, in reality, I see here as a more of a uh, co 
cross-collaboration between the two institutions and between the other um, European institutions which are working on inclusion and really more of a, a wider framework and the wider guidelines to the member states to work on inclusion of young people. And at member state level, it also can't be really um, implemented and further developed just by the youth sector. But again, a cross-collaboration between the ministry working for youth or the people who are responsible at working in the youth sector with other um, um, stakeholders uh, which are working on offset inclusion. This is how I see uh, the issue then of inclusion in the strategies as a more holistic, looking at it as a more holistic approach. You are definitely right there, Miriam. I think that with regard to inclusion, we, if you look at both documents, when it comes to the EU youth strategy, you very clearly see in the document that inclusion is basically one of the guiding principles that's behind everything written in the uh, strategy because what the strategy is basically saying is that young people live in different situations and in order to include them in society, we need different activities and we need different policies for young people. And that, of course, also relates to the cross-sectoral collaboration. And then if you look to the Council of Europe, you see a very clear relationship in the youth sector strategy between inclusion and democratic citizenship. If there is no participation for young people, then there is no inclusion for young people possible. Young people don't feel acknowledged. And this whole concept of democratic citizenship and this whole concept of democracy, which is very relevant in the Council of Europe, is having a harder stand, basically. Because what the Council of Europe actually is argue arguing is that if you really want a democratic um, society, then you need a participatory society. And that means not only participation of people older than 18 who can vote, but also participation of all young people who can have their say and because they are basically experts in their own life. That's a phrase from the EU, but it's implicitly in the Council of Europe as well. And I think that is very important. We are slowly heading towards the end of our episode. Both strategies were written before COVID. I would like to ask the last question. How relevant are they now? Are they still valid? When I reflect on this, in reality, I still say to myself that, uh, yes, I think those two strategies are still valid uh, because the strategies are open enough uh, and enable us to adapt to what is happening at the moment. Perhaps they definitely were not open enough for something very extraordinary to happen, like the pandemic. But still, I think that if we look at the COVID recovery plans of the different member states and listen to what member states are presenting and how this is going to affect young people, what we have as strategies uh, and is still there, is still valid. Uh, and uh, but the only thing that I can see is that we might needs to prioritize some, some parts of the strategy more 
before others or more than we thought we would prioritize. And another thing that we really have to think of is again, and because of this post-COVID recovery plan and the funding that would be put in the post-COVID recovery plan, is how is the youth sector going to try and get some of this funding? And the question would be whether we are being strong enough, it has got the enough capacity to and be able to use this funding and be able to and show that the funding is being used, uh, being used uh, in an, an accountable manner and uh, at the same time addressing the both um, European strategies and also their own national strategy. I think both strategies are very relevant at this moment. Yes, they both have been written, have been adopted before the pandemic, but if you look at what topics they are ever actually covering and which topics are relevant now, they are basically the same. They have different backgrounds now. They have different priorities and different importances compared to the situation two years ago. For example, the discussion on education and learning and what youth work can do to bring competences, to give young people opportunities and competences. The, this question is the same. The background is a different one. We're now talking about, we were talking about young people as a resource for society, for employment sector, etc. two years ago. So the question is basically the same, but the background or the reason why we're asking the questions are they different. So we will have to reflect this background for coping with these questions. But the questions both strategies are dealing with. If you look at youth work, the role of youth work, if you look at the role of the youth policy sector, if you look at the role of young people in society, which both uh, strategies are very heavily dealing with, what is the role actually for young people in society? These questions are still very relevant and important, but their background, why we're asking these questions, this background has changed. Thank you, Miriam and Frederica, for your input and I think we said it somewhere at certain point in this episode that these strategies are guidelines but they are not written in stone there is a process of implementation there is an ongoing process of reflection on what works what doesn't what should be maybe amended what should be changed what should be adapted and only in this situation the strategy has a value that it's always trying to be relevant to the lives of young people in Europe thanks a lot again and yeah and goodbye